0: Welcome to the Drop Time Report. Turn up the volume and listen to amazing stories about big bucks and the hunters who harvested them. Here is your host, outdoor writer, Tracy Breen.
1: On this episode of the Drop Time Report, we're going to have on Dave Stuckey. Dave is an Ohio resident and a retired military man. And he has killed a lot of big bucks over the last few years. And today we're going to talk about a giant he killed last year. That was well over 200 inches. The cool thing about Dave's story is he doesn't lease land. He doesn't own lots of land. He hunts on land by uh, knocking on doors and asking permission, doing it the old-fashioned way. And he's been fairly successful at gaining permission. So today we're going to talk about the monster buck he killed last year, as well as you know the tactics he uses to try and get permission to deer hunt. On private property. Uh, The cool thing about this big buck, a pattern that I see in a lot of uh, interviews that I do, this giant was living on a really small piece of property. So it just goes to show you, if you put your time in, even a small piece of property can produce a giant deer. Before we get Dave on the show, I'd like to thank my sponsors, my title sponsor, Redneck Blinds. If you're in the market for a new new blind, uh, check out their fiberglass blinds. If you're on a budget, they also have some great soft-sided blinds, including the Gilly Blind. Uh, Fourth Arrow camera arms, makers of great camera arms, and the Final Rest Shooting System Wind Scent. vaporized deer urine uh, that heats up the urine and dispenses it and has been tested by a bloodhound uh, who is actually able to smell that scent several hundred yards away. Morale Targets, check out their High Roller Target Huntworth Clothing if you're on a budget. Check out huntworthgear.com. Pine Ridge Archery, makers of the Nitrovan Lucky Buck Mineral. Grim Reaper Broadheads, Schaefer Performance Archery, makers of the XV Aero Rest, Illinois Connection Outfitters. The Outdoorsman's, makers of great backpacks and tripod systems for glassing and wilderness athlete. Uh, we're into the new year now. Everybody has weight loss on the mind Check out Wilderness Athletes Nutritional Products. Uh, One of my favorite things that they offer is their Hydrate and Recover drink. When you place an order, enter Drop 10 at checkout and get a discount. Now let's go ahead and get Dave on the show. Welcome to the Drop 10 Report. Dave, how are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. It looks like uh, you consistently kill big bucks and you had a good year this year. Uh, But I kind of want to tell the story of a big buck that you killed last year. He was very unique the first time I saw a picture, and obviously your social media blew up after you killed that deer. Um, You know, there's a lot of big deer killed in America today, but he just had a lot of unique characteristics that when you saw it, you stopped and paused and really took a close look. And uh, congratulations on that monster. Thank you. So go ahead and maybe tell us the story behind that buck and, uh, you know, how long you were chasing him. Uh, his name, how you gave him his name, those kind of things? Well, the deer I started out, and I think it was 2016, we had a couple pictures of him.
0: You know, he was a 150-inch typical deer, nothing that I was really interested in chasing. I knew he was young, and I was hoping he'd blow up, but you just never know. Um, Hit hit the camera a few times. um, Nothing else to go off of. I just had him off the mineral site, and then a couple pictures in November. Then in 2017, he just blew up into this freak he had uh, a crazy main beam and uh you know it was a double main beam one side i think he had you know you never know what happens to a deer when they injure the rack like that or if they were injured or whatever but he just he blew up he probably put on another 30 inches he is close to 180 inch deer maybe maybe a little bit more and uh kind of the same thing the routine was i got a handful of pictures of him in june and then again in uh, august And I never had any more pictures of him, so, you know, my my year was kind of, I was bummed out about it. I just, I couldn't figure this deer out. And then uh, the crop rotations that the farmers had and everything, I think it really helped me out. He uh, moved in on that farm that I was able to hunt, and in 2018, I was riding around looking in the bean fields, and and we spot him out in the bean field in uh, mid-July. So I ran over. You know, I, I run over to this farm the next day, and I, I put a four or five cell cameras out. And uh, three days later, I started getting pictures of him. And then, you know, the madness in my head started from here because I was getting him in the daylight, you know, in the morning, the evenings, all through the night. I mean, he was there constantly. I knew he was living right there. Okay. Um, you know, kind of how we got the name Meg Lodon was... I put those cell cameras out and, uh, our family already had a vacation paid for down in Florida. You know, we like to try to get down there once a year and we get down there and I land in the Atlanta airport, you know, cause we're from Southern Ohio. And okay. uh, first thing I did when I popped my phone out of my pocket and turned it back on from the plane and I had pictures and it was the very first pictures at the end of July of him standing there. and It was he was like just posing and, you know, we were going to the ocean and, you know, to be honest, I hate the ocean, you know, really <laughs> the ocean. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I, me and my son always joke about sharks and stuff like that. So I said, I'm just going to name him Megalodon. So that's kind of where his name came from. Since I, I was in Atlanta when I first started getting great pictures of the deer besides the
1: couple of the year before. And, uh, and he is kind of a freak, right? So that, that name, in my opinion, definitely, uh, definitely fits.
0: Yeah. I mean, he was and. uh The area he was kind of living in, you really couldn't see him. Um, I really had to, we really had to look for this deer to find him. And once we found him and, you know, deer is very unique. He never left really. um, He lived on a 220 acre farm, but the, the section that he was on on this farm, it was probably only 20 acres. He never left. I mean, he, he had a very small circle. I watched him stand up almost every day out of this thicket. He'd walk down straight to the creek, get water, come back out of the bean field. And it was usually right at dark. Um, so you know, yeah, the name kind of just fit him. He was already well developed in July. I mean, I he already knew, I knew he was going to be over two hundred, and that's all about. That's about all I knew.
1: Okay, now now living in that small area, you know, twenty acres. Was he almost exclusively living on beans?
0: Yeah, um, he was living on beans, and then uh, the weird thing about this deer is, I mean, I kind of became obsessed with him he uh he would disappear on me whenever it rained um, so I got to watching him and trying to figure him out well i kept kept catching him going across the road uh he would eat corn, and the reason he was going across the road eating corn was the only cornfield around, but there was no water in there. There was a small ditch, so when it rained for a couple of days or it'd be wet out, he'd be gone, so I ended up putting a big corn pile up there beside his bed. you know I could get sneak right up there about three hundred yards from his bed. And he hit that corn pile pretty religiously, and he never left again. I mean, it was just a tactic that
1: I had to use to try to keep him from getting hit on the road and possibly another hunter to harvest him. Okay. So you had water on that side of the road where you were hunting him? Yes.
0: We had a a, a little creek. Uh, probably He was probably bedded about 300 yards from
1: it across the bean field. Okay. Okay. So he was was he coming to that corn in daylight or or mainly at nighttime?
0: uh he was there quite a bit in the daylight till he turned hard horn when he turned hard horn it was like uh flip as a, you know it was like flipping a switch on him he he never came to that corn pile again, even though I could watch him stand up and he was three hundred yards from it. He never came to it again when he turned hard horn was between midnight and three o'clock in the morning.
1: okay, it's amazing how that happens, but it's a a consistent story that I hear and, and have read and written about my whole career, you know, they just somehow, they change, you know, their personality changes the moment they ter- get hard horned.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, when we were seeing him in the daylight, we would, when every time that you know, get a pop-up storm or something come through, we would run down the road. Cause he was about 15 miles from my house. We'd run over there and, and watch the fields. And every time it rained, I mean, he was Zella, he was out there, uh, you know, and then, just like you said, that when he turned hardhorn, he was he he became a ghost pretty much. I mean, he was standing up out of his bed the last five minutes of daylight. Like I could barely see him, and I was I was 152 yards from him. You know, I'd range find him every time he came out of the thicket, right?
1: There. Wow. So, so obviously, I mean, just listening to this for a few minutes, you were obsessed. How how often were you going to check this deer out?
0: Um, I usually I was out there almost probably four or five nights a week but I was watching from a distance you know I was I was six seven hundred yards away and then uh you know I had the cell cams down there so I was getting live updates all through the night all through the day and then any time that I thought I could catch a glimpse of him whenever it's storm or it was a cooler evening I try to get out there and just just observe him and see what kind of you know kind of pattern he was on or what he was doing or if he was making any of the same moves ever the same you know
1: Yep. Okay. Now now that's uh w- what day did you kill that buck? I uh I, I aired him on October twenty second. Okay, so you're quite a bit into the season by that. Did you have uh you know a lot of close encounters with him before then?
0: Well, I um I had an area that I can slip into from the actually I had to thank my neighbor there. He let if it went for him, I probably wouldn't have killed this deer enough. But the neighbor let me walk in from his side and there was a big Fence row between his bed and where I was at, so I could walk over there without being seen. And I had a, I actually had a redneck blind set up in the edge of that thicket there, and I could watch him across the bean field. And then, um as I was watching him, you know, every day figuring him out, you know, got closer to towards the end of October, he started making the same mistake, and he was going down to my left about 400
1: yards, this pinch point, and he was making a bunch of rubs and scrapes over there. Okay, so eventually you hung a stand then, or how did you... Yeah, I, did
0: uh, you... I actually uh, waited till it started storming one day, and, I mean, it was it was a horrible storm. It was lightning, thunder, 30-minute hour wind, and I ran over there and put a tree stand up because I knew he'd be bedded. You know, in my mind, I was hoping he was going to be bedded during that storm. So I ran over there and put that tree stand up in that corner, and I put a camera down there, and sure enough, it was him making those scrapes and rubs down there, and he was down there almost every night. And after I hung that stand seven days later, I actually aired him out that stand at 13 yards.
1: Now, these scrapes and rubs that he was making, were those always at night or were some of those, you know, during daylight? Um, most of them were at night, you know.
0: Uh, almost all of them were at night except for the last few days there right before I killed him. He was showing up, you know, half an hour after dark, you know, an hour after dark. So he was getting closer and closer to daylight.
1: And, and so, you know, tell us the story of the day you killed him. Well, he come in and, um, you know, I'll be honest with everybody. I put a shot on him that I
0: wasn't proud of. Uh, it was more of a, almost a straight down shot. I'm 23, 24 feet in the tree. And uh, he's at 13 yards and I stick him straight down pretty much. And, um, you know, I, I knew it was a lethal shot. He runs up and he's standing up there for about two minutes and uh, he, he, Takes off, he bolts off. So, I thought I hit him a little bit further back, and I uh, couldn't find no blood right there where he was standing. So I thought well, maybe I didn't get an exit. I had twenty six inches of arrow in him. Um, so we left, came back for, for about thirteen hours later, and we we searched and we just couldn't find anything. Uh, I didn't get an exit. The arrow was pretty much all the way through his body, from his mid shoulders all the way to his to his back hip. Once we found the deer and realized what happened, um, okay. You know, we we searched and searched and searched. The deer actually had doubled back on us, and he was laying about three hundred yards down the creek in the water, completely submerged. Um, we looked for t- we looked for two days, and then found him on the third day.
1: Okay, now was this a morning hunt or an evening hunt?
0: This was an evening hunt. It was um, like I said, it was October twenty second. And, uh, he was, he was actually up on his feet at like, I had some cameras up closer to towards his bed. And after, you know, checking his cameras and everything, he was actually on his feet at like five o'clock that day, which I didn't kill him till I didn't stick an arrow until around five 30 that evening. So he was okay. already up a couple hundred yards away, you know, and he was out in that field checking does and grunting and, you know, he's just running all over the field, just
1: like it like rent was happening right then and there okay okay now uh before we did the interview you, you were kind of telling me your your strategy about hunting and and you mentioned that you know you don't pay to lease uh you don't own an enormous amount of property uh you know you get permission the the old-fashioned way uh now are all these places you're hunting near your house um you know are you knocking on doors what is your strategy for securing hunting land well um you know I'll, I'll be honest i grew up around here
0: so i know a lot of people um sure so i just drive around in the, in the summertime and i try to find big deer And when i find one you know i i just go knock on doors till i get lucky or i get refused and have to find another deer but uh, for that instance i've had that, that farm over there for six years what happened was years ago i drove over there and um a buddy of mine hunted on the back side and the property sold and he never he never went and asked for permission and he told me he's like you ought to get that so we have this whole block on lockdown so i got it first couple of years i didn't really hunt the property i mean there was nice deer there but i was always stuck on something else you know and uh mm. so i kind of just always ran cameras on it i i always watched the fields and So I went over there that year and, you know, got lucky, I guess you kind of say. And I've had that farm ever since. As long as I can keep it, I'll keep it now.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, when you're knocking on doors, what is your percentage of success, do you think? I mean, uh, you knock on 10 doors, how many say yes? Maybe two. (laughs) Okay, you know, and, and that doesn't that doesn't discourage you. I mean, I think that's one of my my own problems, to be honest. I, I live in Michigan. I've knocked on a lot of doors, and I guess you get told no enough. You just give up.
0: Well, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, since I'm from around here, uh, a lot of guys, I, I kind of got a decent reputation because I, I don't tear up the properties. I don't leave trash, um, and I try to key on the properties where there's nobody else at. I mean, I, we got a lot of farms around here where it's it's huge families and most of them hunt i just avoid those farms because you know you know you're going to get told no because they all hunt you know Mm -hmm. so i I try to look for small acreage sometimes uh you know and then like i said just riding around trying to find big deer you know it's just just part of it you can't kill a big deer if he's just not there
1: sure Yeah. yeah now let's jump ahead to this year Uh, you killed some big bucks again this year, didn't you?
0: Well, I, I errored one good one, um, opening evening. We, uh, kind of the same story, you know, Tracy, we, uh, a buddy of mine was out riding around and saw this double drop tying deer. And we thought he was around 170, but he ended up being a little bit smaller than that. Um, he was on a bigger deer he thought was 200. So him and I started knocking on doors and, uh, the property that we kept seeing the deer on we got denied. The property, you know, south of it and and west of it got denied. And then the property on the west was just a twenty acre wood lot. And we we got lucky and a lady actually got back with us. She lives she actually lives in Columbus an hour away. And uh so we took a ride up there and she granted us permission and that deer, you know, started walking the route around after we turned hard horn and he came right in there and I aired him at first evening of season and it kind of was a quick story.
1: Now, on a 20-acre part, did you do anything to that 20 acres to make it uh, more desirable? Or, you know, uh, what would you do there?
0: Kind of the uh, same thing. The deer was up in the bean field every night, which we could hunt a bean field. Um, and on that east side of the property, it had a big ridge, that a big shelf that went around. So I just put cameras up there, and I will get him every now and then. And he was walking that shelf around because there was a pond at the end of that shelf. <clears throat> that would lead up you hit the pond and then they hit the bean field so when it was hot you know 90 degrees in july and august he was walking that shelf around so clear on one end of the shelf i, I put some corn out because there was no corn around And where this property was at there's not a lot of agriculture you know that that bean field is a 60 acre bean field and it was the biggest biggest food plot around basically for him there was nothing okay. else there so, I, I used the corn tactic again, put it at the end of the shelf. And then, about two or 300 yards down on the shelf, there was a pinch point where it was about 40 yards wide. I put my stand right there. And when he came through that pinch point, I
1: stuck him. And, and so, you're not having a problem with uh, bucks being nocturnal when you're baiting? Um, usually, you do when they turn hard horn. Uh,
0: other than that, I mean, sometimes going in and out of there, I, I think it makes it more difficult. You know, it's just like going to your food plot every night, you know, your entry and exit, I think, is really important. Um, that That's the main thing I look at is when I find the deer is how I, can, I try to figure out where I think he's bedding and then go in there from there for my entry and my exit. Um, I think in the past that I've, I've ruined a lot of, you know, I, I missed a lot of chances of big deer because of my entry and my exit.
1: Sure. How old are these deer you're killing?
0: Um, The... Megalodon, he was either, I think he was five. You know, um, I never had his teeth sent off. Uh, taxidermy and some other guys that have a little bit of knowledge, they were all saying six. But I think just from the trail camera pictures I have, he was five and a half. Now, the deer I killed this year, I, I, I had no history with him. So I, I think he was three or four, to be honest. I mean, just because he didn't have that big body and Roman nose and his teeth looked pretty healthy, you know, he was a
1: younger deer. Um, okay now now what about you how long have you been just knocking on doors getting permission and being successful
0: um i started hunting when i was nine but we actually lived on a great farm so i probably didn't start knocking on doors i'll give you a little bit of history i was gone for about 15 years i retired out of the army and came back so i only had a couple farms so When I came back in 2012, I pretty much had to start knocking on doors because the farms I used to hunt, you know, these these landowners, they pass away or sell off. So when I came back home, I had one farm, the farm I grew up on. Other than that, I had nothing else. So I've been knocking on doors since 2012.
1: And how many big bucks have you killed in that period of time knocking on doors? Uh, I think
0: since 2012, I've I've killed a deer every year since 2012. I mean, not a lot of them. You know, some of them don't have the headgear, but in the last five years, I've killed a deer that's six plus.
1: You know. Because, now, is there something that's changed? I mean, are people around you passing deer, or have, have your tactics changed to consistently kill a buck that old? Um, I would say a, a little bit of both. Uh, some of the some of my neighbors that I have, you
0: know, they're they're on board with the management, and you know, we share pictures, and you know hey i've had this deer for three years so that way we can kind of guess the age of the deer and you know the headgear they're just not always going to be a 200 inch deer sometime.
1: absolutely yeah you know the yeah. guy's got to realize that you know yep, I, that's that's a mistake you don't not you know luckily you're living in ohio but like where i'm at here to kill a 200 inch is pretty rare yeah. um and 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 they are anywhere obviously but but, you know, you're consistently killing five, six-year-old deer. What do you think the average is if you average them out? 150, 160?
0: Um, probably close. 140? To, yeah, probably closer to a 145 to 150.
1: Uh, okay.
0: You know, I the last few years I've had to take a, I call them old bully bucks, but, you know, you'll get a 135-inch, 140-inch eight-point with seven, eight point, which years old when he walks in the field. It, it don't matter. I mean, I've watched him chase away 160, 170-inch deer because they were just, you know, four-year-olds you know, five-year-olds, they, they just, you know, the last three years before I killed Megalodon, I killed a six-and-a-half and a seven-and-a-half and an eight-and-a-half-year-old deer.
1: Now, you said it's it's partially from people, you know, holding out for bigger bucks and partially the tactics you're employing. What things are you doing different now that you've learned, you know, through the School of Hard Knocks to help you kill bigger bucks?
0: Uh, Out here where I'm at, and, you know, every. All the trains going to be different every hunt but I'm here in kind of southern south central Ohio and I'm right at the edges where the hills meet the crops you know most of the farms I hunt I'll give you a prime example the the farm I killed McDonald's 220 acres probably a hundred and ninety of it's tillable so you know they can see you from a long ways away you know so my entry next is probably I think my bit my biggest you know, asset as far as you got to, if you can figure out where he's bedding, you know, you got to obviously play the wind and then you, you're entering your exit, I believe.
1: Have you ever had to create an entry and exit?
0: Yes. I, I've got on my hands and knees and and cleared a few paths with a little handsaw. And, and, you know, other things I like to do, I don't like to do it, but I do it is when I hit <laughs> tree stands and, and, and when I'm out here changing cameras or, you know, anything, putting up blinds, I I do it only when it's storming. I mean it's gotta be pouring down, it's gotta be pouring down, it's gotta be windy, it's gotta be nasty. You know, I'll wait a week to go out and put out cameras or do something. I'll wait on that storm to
1: pass through. That's interesting. That that's uh, and I and I could see it probably does work, especially if it's raining a lot, it's probably gonna wash away your scent. Yeah, that's
0: part of the reason I do it, and then the other reason is I'm I'm hoping he's gonna stay bedded during that. You know, a lot of deer I won't say all of them, but a lot of deer won't move. You know, they'll they'll go ahead and bed down and, and, and wait it out also, you know, especially if they're in their bedroom and they already feel safe.
1: Um, yeah, that that's interesting. You talk about the bedding part. How many of these deer that you kill do you know where they're bedding? Uh,
0: in the last four or five years, I'd probably say, you know, if I killed five bucks, I'd say three or four of them. I, I pretty much have a general idea of where they're, they're bedding at most of the time.
1: Now, is, is it cell cameras that's allowed that to happen for you, or is it just old-fashioned looking through glass? I mean, a little bit of both.
0: You know, you, you can't, I mean, we've put out cell cameras, and, and they walk 30 yards behind it, and you never know they're there. You know, so I think, you know, putting them in pinch points or when you think they're bedding, and then also you gotta, you got to be out there once in a while, and you got to keep an eye on them. I mean,
1: you know, you got to learn the deer's pattern. And are you learning that largely in July, August, September? Yeah. Um, well, you know,
0: as long as the beans stay green and Ohio kind of, we don't get lucky and aren't able to kill a velvet buck. Season don't come in that early. But if you can get get on one in the summer pattern, I think it's easiest. You know, the last two years that I've been fully retired and I'm able to actually put a little bit of time in, I can, you know, just like this year, I was able to run out there the first evening and kill that deer uh i think you know you got a short window in ohio but the deer in the summertime they they do they are up on their feet a little bit and i think they're somewhat easy easy to pattern if you got the right crops crops rotation kill me like this year we had nothing but corn so you know here i am you got here nothing's visible the deer patterns completely changed it seems like they flock more towards the the beans than they do the
1: crops till late season Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're just dealing with all the things that average Joe, uh, you know, deals with and and figuring out a way around it, so to speak, just working hard. Yeah. I mean,
0: you know, you can't always say that I'm always successful, but, you know, you put your time in and if you're able to put the time in, you know, I I can't imagine how
1: many big deer been saved by nine to five jobs. It used to happen to me all the time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that that's for sure. Now, are you a, are you an all-day sitter? It doesn't sound like it.
0: Um
1: I I try to be in November, you know, like like the last
0: week in October through the first couple weeks of November if I can. You know, I'm starting to get older so it's not as easy anymore, you know. Um Sure. But I mean, I just try to you know, I, I if I'm able to sit out there, I do it. Um A lot of times I'm not able to, but you know, also I have two kids and a wife, so you know, life does
1: continue on outside the woods for me. Sure. Now, on any of these properties, are you allowed to plant food plots or do anything like that? Or are you strictly, you know, just using scouting cameras and, and stand placement to kill these deer?
0: Well, I wish I could plant a food plot, then I wouldn't have to carry bags of corn in. But, you know, here where I'm at, if it's tillable, the farmer tills it. So I got no access to any food plots.
1: Wow. Yeah. uh that's amazing. That's cool, though. I mean, um, like I said, you have figured out a way to work around the difficulties. And, and I think it's important that people hear that because oftentimes the comments we get is, you know, it must be nice to be able to plant food plots or control large pieces of property. And you've been able to knock on doors, you know, use corn, some people might not like that idea or whatever. But the truth is, it's a legal tactic that you're using. And it's worked, and you just stick with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, and a corn pile it it can hurt you and it can help you. I mean, honestly, my corn piles don't really pay off a whole lot unless we get a really hard winter in December and January. Um, you know, early seasons I put out corn and it rots on the ground. I mean, guys got to realize here in southern Ohio, a small cornfield is two or three hundred acres, so it's not like. You know, the deer flock to it because there's nothing there. Where I'm hunting, it's all cornfields and all bean fields. And then there's winter wheat you got to deal with. So if your neighbor plants winter wheat and it's all green over there, that's where all your deer are going to be. They're going to be on your neighbors, at, you know, at a farm. Because these farmers, they most farmers in this area don't really care about the deer, to be honest, as far as, you know, they don't hunt. They don't manage. They don't, they just, you know, they want them harvested because they eat their crops
1: yeah that actually works to your advantage obviously right uh you know a lot of parts of the country the farmers know they have what they have when they have big deer and they take advantage of that by leasing ground or whatever and yeah. and uh, that's probably part of the reason your knocking on the door tactic still works
0: yeah i mean you know it in this area you know the small farmers are, are starting to go away i mean i'm sure guys in their area too um Ben and I went out to Illinois, and it's like farmers have huge chunks of land. And that's the same way here in Ohio. There are some farmers here at farm, you know, 70,000 acres, you know. And and most of it, they lease just a farm. And, you know, just a small handful of them actually deer hunt. So if you can get in with one of those farmers, then he'll give you a piece of property, you know. It's a little bit tricky in Ohio because not all the farmers get the, you know, the farming rights and the hunting rights but a lot of them do. They get the whole farm.
1: Yeah. Now, do you already have a couple bucks you're hoping for for next year or well, too early I, to tell? I've got a couple potentials on a couple of farms, but I had a
0: two really nice ones. that was harvested during gun season this year that I was really hoping to get my kid on one of them. And we're still struggling right now. We've got an old year, like seven year old eight point. But if he comes in, I'd like for him to harvest him, but you know, I had a, Probably a, had a low 170s that we've had like four years of history with. He got harvested during gun season by one of the neighbors, and then on the backside of that same farm, we had one that kind of like kind of like megalodon. He'd just show up every now and then, and uh, he was very random. Most of the time at night, but he was probably pushing
1: 180s, and, and he got harvested. So, how old is your son? Uh, he's 13. Okay, so yeah, you're right at that point where you're trying to get him hooked. Yeah, well,
0: last year he did really well. He killed a 156-inch 9 and It was 20, almost 26 inches wide, and it was a, a deer we had a lot of history with, and uh, it, I, we believe it was eight or nine-year-old deer. He was actually on the downhill the year before. He was
1: probably 10-15 inches bigger. Wow! So trying to get how, him on the track, you know. Sure. How how uh, big was Megalodon? Uh,
0: Booner caucus standards. He went two thirty two and some change gross, and then after deductions, he was two twenty three
1: and some change. Holy cow, that's that's something.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of videos out there. You know, White Tail Edge has their video out. that They told the story, and it says two twenty nine, but that was before I ever had him officially scored. So, you know, it, it's all the same. I was just happy he broke that two mark because that's every hunter's dream.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Well, you're you're definitely doing something right to consistently kill the bucks. You're killing, um, you know, without having to own land. And I mean, let's face it, it's an uphill battle these days. And and you seem to have figured it out. So congratulations on that, and congratulations on consistently harvesting good deer. Thank you. And uh, thanks for taking the time today. And uh, good luck getting your son on a buck. All right. Good luck to you, Tracy. And thank you for all having. All me. right. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye. To learn more about Dave and the web show he is a part of, Whitetail Edge, visit whitetailedge.com. To learn more about me, visit my website, tracybreen.com, T-R-E-C-Y-B-R-E-E-N.com. I mainly use that website uh, to book speaking engagements at Wild Game Dinners. I want to thank everyone for listening today. Between now and the next show, it would be great if you could give me a positive review on Google Play or iTunes and subscribe to the Drop Time Report. Thanks. Have a great day.